Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Good morning, my friends. How are we doing? Isn't it amazing to worship our God? He is so worthy of every song we could sing and so much more. I want you to open up to Acts chapter 2, verse 14 this morning. If you can, we're continuing our series through the book of Acts. This is when the church was born, the Holy Spirit was on the move and um, accomplishing the mission of Jesus. Um, Quick question, how many of you either listen to or read or watch the news? How many of you feel like you should probably do that a little bit less because it's like depressing you? <laughs> See, man, this world is crazy, and we all know that, and I think we say that a lot, but um, like everything from just weird things happening to really uh, breathtakingly sor- sad things happening in this world, and I, um, I'm, I, <laughs> I was reading an article the other day, and um, there was this flight that was taking off from somewhere, I think, in Malaysia, and as we started to fly, um, someone looked up into the, um, the little lighting panel above and saw, saw the, the figure of a snake uh, slithering up there. I was under the impression that that was just the title of a really crazy, dumb movie, Snakes on a Plane. It's actually happening now, you guys. Like, what a weird story. But uh, everything from really trite, dumb things like that to then I read about, um, man, there's this like TikTok challenge where like these kids are dying because of it, okay? I'm not making a comment about TikTok. That's, that's another conversation. But like just tragic things like that. And then, I, and then I, that's here in the United States. And then I, then I read the news about what's happening in the world and I just see this unfettered violence in Ukraine and people dying right and left on both sides. It's just senseless and it's horrible and it's wicked. And, and does anyone else in here with me who follows the news, those of you who don't follow the news are very happy people. We, you should teach us your ways. How many though in here, when you read the news, when you read what's happening and you know what's happening in this world, you just, there's just something inside of you that raises up and says, will someone please step up and stop this? Will someone please do something? Does anyone ever feel like that? There's gotta be more of you that feel like that. Will someone do something? And I have good news for you. In the midst of all that we read and see, I wanna remind you that there is good news. And it's this, someone is going to step up and stop all this. And it's not a Hollywood celebrity, and it's not a politician, and it's not a judge in a court. It's a king. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is gonna return to this earth and he is going to bring final, absolute, unending justice and peace. Amen? And that is the point of our passage today. The gospel, the good news. I get to preach a sermon about a sermon today. Peter's sermon, the first sermon ever preached in the church to the world. Peter's sermon in Acts 2 tells us that something happened in the first century AD that triggered the beginning of the end. Sometimes endings sound like sad things, but this end is a good ending, a joyful ending. 
a victorious ending. The context of this passage is this. Jesus of Nazareth had preached the gospel of the kingdom of God to the nation of Israel, he and his disciples. He was crucified for it, murdered, sham trial. He's put in a tomb, and on Sunday, he's put in a tomb on Friday, and on Sunday, he's back alive again, resurrection. His disciples witnessed this, and many, many, many other people in Jerusalem witnessed that Jesus, who was dead, hanging on a cross, dead, with a spear shoved into his side, is now alive. Not only that, he spent many days preaching the gospel of the kingdom to his disciples, and then he ascended. They saw him literally, physically, ascend from the ground up into the heavens to be seated in power in a throne at the right hand of God the Father. The disciples are the witnesses to this. Right before Jesus ascended, he said to his disciples, here's what I want you to do. Don't do anything. You wait and you pray until the Holy Spirit is poured out on you. Don't do a thing. And guess what they did? They obeyed. They did exactly what he said. They waited, they prayed. And then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit is poured out on them during the Feast of Pentecost. This was a feast that Jews from all over the world came to visit and worship God. And it was during that that time when all of these Jews from all over the world who speak all kinds of different languages, it's that time that Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on to the apostles. They begin to speak different languages, proclaiming the great news, the good news of God in every language that could have been imagined during that festival. And when they did that, some who were watching saw them speaking in other languages. Some of them wondered, what? They, they, were, they were curious. What is this? What could this be? And others were mocking Matt called it inquisitive and inquisitors. But there's this response. And what we see is that the Holy Spirit, through Peter, preaches the first sermon that the church ever heard. And this is a weighty and defining sermon. Do not take this sermon that Peter preached lightly. It encapsulates the core and the primary bedrock of what we call the gospel. We need to pay attention to this sermon. But whose gospel? Whose gospel? You say, well, there's only one gospel, Travis. It's just the gospel of Jesus. And I agree that there's only one true gospel. But this word gospel in the Greek, euangelion, just means good message, good word, good tidings even, if you like to go King James Version. Good word, good message. This was a word that was regularly in use. And it was kind of used for special occasions. And there's one use of this word in the common language back then. I want to point out this is especially poignant. Archaeologists found this, uh, this, it's called the Prien calendar inscription. It's an inscription uh, on something, I don't remember what, a pillar or something like that, that was an announcement to the Roman world. And, uh, and it pronounces the birthday of the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the, the uh, emperor who was in charge when Jesus was born. And, and it, this inscription pronounces his birthday as a momentous beginning of a new era. Here's what it says. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she, providence, filled with virtue, that he, Augustus, 
might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the gospel, euangelion, same word, the birth of Augustus was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by reason of him. Here's what they're saying using that word gospel. Good news, there's a new king in town. And his appearance is earth shattering. His name is Augustus and oh, by the way, he is divine. This was how that word gospel was used. Now, Peter and the other apostles lived in a world where the word gospel was associated with a specific king, Augustus, reigning over them. They had heard, good news, gospel. Caesar Augustus is king. You are so fortunate to be ruled by such a wise and divine king. And there is no hope that anyone before or after him will surpass his greatness. Good news, rejoice, gospel, or else. Or else. But now, we have this little ragtag group of Jews claiming another gospel. Not the gospel of Caesar Augustus, but the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is a massive, dangerous, culturally loaded claim. For them to use that word about Jesus is to say what? Is to say Jesus is king, not Augustus. And I want you to realize that back in that day, the question, who is the king, really mattered to their everyday lives. And we don't think that way now very often, but we should be asking that same question. And it should matter to us still, who is truly the king of this earth? It matters. To the biblical authors, the question, who is the king and how must we respond to him, took up quite a large portion of their thinking and their writing in scripture. Their claims and what they wrote about, so much of it revolves around answering this question of who's the rightful king and what is our response to him. This kind of thinking is, it tends to be pretty foreign to people like us who grew up in America under you know, a republic, a democracy. Uh, it, thinking about a king tends to be um, very distant, doesn't it? But I think as disciples of Jesus, we must make it a, a, such a defining part of how we think, how we feel, how we filter, how we behave, and how we live. Because even though we live in a democracy, the people of Jesus have a king. We have to think this way. Let's start reading in verse 14 of Acts chapter two to see what Peter has to say about these events, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that happens. It says this, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose. What a great start to a sermon. I just want to let you all know I'm not drunk. <laughs> Since it's only the third hour of the day, it's only 9 a.m. is what that means. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is what Andy read earlier. He's now quoting and using Old Testament scripture to show and prove who Jesus is and what's happening. He says this, verse 17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not just the Jews, not just the people of God at that day. I will pour out my spirit on all kinds of people, all nations, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, not just men, not just men, your daughters too. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, young and old together hearing from God. Even on my male servants or slaves and female servants, slaves, not just the wealthy or high class or privileged, even the lowest class, everyone from the, lo- from the poorest to the richest, men and women, young and old, Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Church, the outpouring of the spirit supersedes lines of status, race, gender, age, class. The Holy Spirit is poured out on all who put their faith in Jesus. And we are all priests in the temple of God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. How you grew up, what kind of a family you were in, who loved you or who rejected you, who praised you and who judged you, how much money you have, what addictions you came out of, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit will dwell in you if you trust Jesus. And we'll see in the next sentences here, This, that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit signifies that the last days have begun, that we are living, you and I, right now in the last era of human history. Verse 19, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the Day of the Lord comes. This is a significant statement. The day of the Lord was something known by all people in the Jewish faith as a day where God promised that he would as king come and judge the world and end all that has happened. And he will judge the living and the dead, this great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This new era triggered by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is an era of salvation for all people everywhere. What is Peter saying by quoting Joel? He's saying what you're seeing is not drunkenness, it's the promise outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the last days have begun. The clock is ticking towards the day of the Lord when he comes back, returns and sets all order to all things. God's day of judgment for all people. The outpouring of the Spirit has triggered the clock ticking towards that moment. And now Peter, using the Hebrew scriptures, makes it very clear how we respond to King Jesus will determine how we fare on that day. When the day of the Lord comes, how will I be? How will I fare? It all depends on how I respond to King Jesus. Verse 22 
men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. He says he did all kinds of miracles. He healed the blind. He healed the deaf. He healed the mute, the lame. He raised people from the dead. You saw the evidence. You people here in Jerusalem, you saw it. As you yourselves know, verse 23, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was God's plan, but it was your sin. God raised him up, resurrection, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus, the first person who experienced death but could not be held by death. Verse 25, for David, the king, says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one, the Messiah, see corruption. Corruption just means bodily decay. You will not let his body see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Here's what Peter is saying by quoting David. He's saying Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension triggered the Spirit's outpouring. The Spirit's outpouring triggered the last days, but what triggered the, the Spirit's outpouring? Why is the Spirit now being poured out on all people? Because the Messiah who was prophesied to be killed but raised back to life has done just that. And he is seated on a throne now in heaven at the right hand of God. Under God's sovereign plan, you people of Jerusalem have triggered the last days and the approaching day of the Lord by murdering the Messiah, but God raised him up from the dead. But now notice how Peter describes Jesus. Notice all the royal language, the kingly language he uses. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch, David, that's a king, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. He says, you can walk over right there and see David's tomb. There's a body in it. He's dead. King David is dead. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would set one of David's descendants on his throne. There's another kingly word. God promised that David's descendant would be on his throne forever. Second Samuel 7. He, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That word means king, Messiah, anointed one is what that means. Anointed to rule that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, decay. 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all, these 12 of us, are all witnesses. He's saying, I and the 11 other apostles standing here with me literally saw Jesus alive after we literally saw him die. What is he saying? Peter's asking this question, who is Jesus? And he answers it. He is the prophesied king, the Christ. Prophesied, the promised king, prophesied by his forefather, King David. The work of the Holy Spirit on earth is the sign that the Messiah king sits enthroned in heaven. 
He goes on to say in verse 33, being therefore exalted, here king, exalted, throne, king at the right hand of God, king, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David, who was the king, did not ascend into the heavens. Peter has now insisted twice that these Psalms that David wrote refer to the Messiah, refer to Jesus, not to David himself. But he, but he himself, David says, the Lord, king, are you sick of me hearing, hearing me say king yet? But the Lord, king, said to my Lord, king, sit at my right hand, king, until I make your enemies your footstool. King, what's a footstool? It was a stool that they literally put in front of a king's throne for his feet to be placed on. He's envisioning Jesus being enthroned on a throne in heaven at the right hand of the Father, king of earth. And he says, let all the house of Israel Therefore, know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, King. This Jesus whom you crucified. He ends his sermon by saying, let everyone know, let it be known that Jesus Christ is the King. And you crucified him. So let's reverse engineer Peter's message. He says, you killed Jesus of Nazareth, who proved to you over and over and over again through signs and wonders that he was the promised Messiah. You killed him. Reverse engineer more. We, the apostles, are witnesses of the fact that God raised him back to life. Not only that, we saw him ascend to heaven. So, since that's the case, what you're seeing here today is the Holy Spirit being poured out because Jesus ascending to the throne, God gave him the promised Holy Spirit and Jesus pours out this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, onto the church because he has the right to being enthroned. And if the Holy Spirit is being poured out as prophesied by Joel, then that means that the Messiah King of earth, the one who's in charge of this whole place now, who the prophet spoke of for hundreds of years, he's sitting on a throne in heaven. The Messiah must be sitting on a throne in heaven for the Holy Spirit to have been poured out. And then Peter claims Jesus of Nazareth is the one we saw exalted to that throne. So that means Jesus of Nazareth is the king of heaven and earth. And the day of his return, Jesus' return, is the day of the Lord. And it's now counting down. And you all murdered him. And you're saying, Travis, I thought you said that this sermon of Peter's was the gospel. Good news. It sounds more like a threat. And I understand that but we all need to reorient our minds to the actual central idea of the gospel. The actual central most important fact of the gospel, the bedrock of the gospel is this. Jesus is king. You may say, how is it good news that Jesus is the king and that he's going to return and judge me on the day of the Lord? How is that good news? That sounds scary. 
I'll tell you why. A little story. A couple years back, my daughter uh, broke her wrist really badly. And she had to have surgery and a pin put in. It was, I won't go into gross. Do you want me to go into gross details? I can, a pin put in. It was, it was a, a surgery. And um, the only thing I got out of it was watching her wake up from anesthesia. That was one of the most funny things I've ever seen in my life. Other than that, I got a really large medical bill. <laughs> Astoundingly large. I could not believe it. And, and so Kaiser has this thing where, like, you can put in a thing and say, hey, could you help us out a little bit with the medical bill? This is, like, a lot of money. And I put that in, and they, they declined it. And I called and said, hey, it looks like we're, like, in the percentages that it should be to get some help. And they're like, sorry, I can't do anything. The person on the phone was like, look, if I could do something, I would, but I can't. So I said, okay, we'll just have to pay it off. And they didn't have the authority to do anything for me. But then like a month or two later, as we're paying this thing off, we get, um, I get a call out of nowhere from Kaiser saying, hey, it's been decided that if you can pay a certain amount cash, we're gonna forgive the rest of your debt. See, someone who had the authority made a decision about my case. The person I talked to on the phone didn't have the authority. I didn't have the authority, but someone did. And they made a decision. And the decision was a forgiveness of debt. So how is it good news that Jesus is the king and that he's returning to judge me? Because unlike every other being in this universe, Jesus has the authority to grant me full pardon. I can stand here and say you're forgiven all day till I'm blue in the face. It won't do a thing to you. You can hurt my feelings and I can say, I forgive you. That's great. Good feelings. We're friends. It doesn't do a thing for your eternity. But when Jesus says you're forgiven, when Jesus says you have full pardon, it means something. Why? Because he is the king. And what the king says happens. It's good news because Jesus is not only the king, but he's a king who forgives. He's a merciful king. That's why Jesus being my king and my judge is good news. This king, unlike Caesar, unlike Pilate, unlike Herod, the kings of the world will forgive me. You think Putin's gonna forgive you? You think Caesar would have forgiven his enemies? Those kings crushed their enemies. Our king dies for his enemies. It's good news he's on the throne. If Jesus isn't king, we are not forgiven. So for you and me, Jesus being the king is the singular reality that we must have be true. More than any other reality this universe could offer. So what is the gospel? It is this, that Jesus is the king, that he has the authority to rule, and what he decrees is what will be. And the gospel is that Jesus has decreed that all who by faith trust in him and pledge loyalty to him as their king will be totally, utterly, irrevocably forgiven. The king said it. 
He promised it. He decreed it. And those of us who by faith put our trust in Jesus receive complete pardon because he's king. Earlier I asked, who is the king and how must we respond to him? To all of you, I say that the answer is this. And to myself, I say the answer is this. Jesus is that king. So how do we respond to him? We repent. We place our believing loyalty in Jesus. That's what faith is. It's believing loyalty. It's not just saying something, it's true. It's truly trusting him. Trusting that what he said he will do, he will do. Trusting that it is his sacrifice, his work, not mine, that saves me. Because he is king. We put joyfully, thankfully, put our believing loyalty in Jesus. Now I want to say something to those of us in the room who are already disciples of Jesus, who have already truly trusted him. This gospel is good news. And how do we respond to him? First, we keep repenting and we keep placing our believing loyalty in Jesus. Repentance is not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. It's a constant turning to Jesus and saying, I'm not saying you gain and lose your salvation. There's lots of theologians that argue about that. I'm just saying life with Jesus is constant repentance of the filth I find in my life. Constant turning to him. The second thing I want to tell you, people who are already following Jesus, is this, and listen loud. Can you listen loud? I can say it loud. Listen hard. Be encouraged. Be of good heart. Jesus, the king, is returning. He's going to come back, literally, not metaphorically. He's going to come down from the sky and land in Jerusalem. He's going to destroy his enemies. He's going to set up a throne and he will rule on a throne, a literal throne in the literal place of Jerusalem over all the world. And all that we find in the news and all that we've seen and all we've experienced in our life that is wrong, he will make right. There will be justice. There will be peace. There will be joy. And it will cover the earth. That is our future. Be encouraged. And live loyalty to the kingdom that will be, not the kingdom that currently is. Third, I say to you, get on mission. Jesus will not return until the mission is done. Until what the Bible calls the fullness of the Gentiles. Romans eleven twenty five. look it up. Until that is reached, until the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to all people groups. Jesus will not return until the job he set us to do is finished. Why has it been so long that Jesus ascended and he hasn't returned? I don't know all the answers to that. I wonder if one of the answers is because the church refuses to obey his commission. I don't know. But I do know that he says that he will not return until all the people who must hear the gospel do hear the gospel. 
Last week, Matt said this, every disciple is a witness proclaiming the gospel and the kingdom of God. In the same way, church, that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit triggered this age of salvation, so the finished work of proclaiming the gospel to all peoples triggers the age of Jesus' return. The question is, are we working to that end or are we slowing it down by our disobedience? And by the way, are we robbing our own joy in this life by our disobedience? To what degree will the Holy Spirit use the people of this church sitting in this room? I answer that question with another question. To what degree is Jesus enthroned as king here? Because I think that's the degree to which he will use us, to the degree that we live with him as our king. Not perfectly. Oh, we have so many weaknesses, don't we? He's so gracious and he uses us anyways, but if we have hearts that say, I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want, how are we accomplishing the mission he's given us? The Holy Spirit will empower and use us, I think, to the degree that Jesus is our king. In other words, we will accomplish Jesus's mission to the degree that we obey his commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything he has commanded. So do the characteristics and patterns of my life reflect, reflect this current age or the age to come when Jesus is ruling? As disciples of Jesus, we are being called to live in the present, but with the characteristics, heart, and patterns of the future when Jesus rules this entire world. To those of you who are not yet disciples of Jesus, and some of you um, may know that you're not because you have not decided to trust in him, and some of you may think you are. Some of us may think we are because either we said a prayer or we've gone to church for so long, but whatever neighborhood you're in there, if you are not yet a disciple of Jesus, I wanna say to you, Jesus is the king and he is the judge and he is returning and he will be the judge of all people. And unlike any other court system or ruler in the world, Jesus is perfect in justice and full of mercy and he loves you. He loves you so much. He's personally invited you to be adopted into his kingdom, into his family. He doesn't want to just make you a servant. He wants to make you his child. Will you respond? Will you call on the name of the Lord Jesus today and be saved? Or do you really think that the wicked people who rule the world now will have the last say? That they will be left to perpetuate injustice and wickedness for the rest of eternity rebelling against the true king. Do you really think that's how God is gonna leave this world? I promise you he will not. If you continue to reject Jesus as your king when he returns, you will, whether intentionally or unintentionally, have aligned yourself with his enemies and he will mournfully honor your decision. So, I ask you to ponder this, not as a threat, 
But just as a fact of reality, when King Jesus actually returns, will you be found with him or against him? This gospel is good news and it's only bad news if you reject it. You have a king who died for you, who extends unfettered grace to you, who paid for your debt, who chose to do it. Why wouldn't we say yes to that king? If you don't know Jesus, he calls you today. He says, you trust me. I'll take care of you. I'll forgive you. And when I return, it will be a very, very good day for you. That's the grace, the love, the joy and kindness of our Jesus. I wanna pray and as I pray, I wanna ask the prayer team to come forward and line the stage here. If you haven't yet given your life, your believing loyalty to Jesus, I wanna ask you to not delay and this morning come and talk to one of these people. They would love to introduce you to how we surrender our lives to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your gospel is good news. We thank you that you are so gracious and loving and good and that we don't have to fear you if we trust you. We thank you that there is good news for every person, no matter how much we've done, no matter how deep the hole we have dug, you are enough to save us. Jesus and his sacrifice was enough to save us. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the king enthroned in heaven and that you get to pronounce complete forgiveness for us who trust in you. We thank you that that's your character and who you are. We respond to you with joyful faith. And Jesus, be the king in this church. Be the one we bow to. And may we be on mission to spread this gospel good news that you initiated so long ago. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.